Over the past uh, 12 weeks or so, we've been in a series discussing and exploring uh, the presence of God, talking about the proclamation of the good news of the kingdom. And so today, with it being our Christmas message, I wanted to put those two topics together, kind of focusing on the Christmas story, as it's called, from the Gospels of Luke and Matthew, and Consider the impact on humanity when the proclamation becomes the presence. We're going to start today in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. Luke uh, not only is a theologian and a missionary, he's also a historian uh, and is recognized uh, at higher levels of learning as a classical historian at the level and probably exceeding that of Josephus. So uh, what he records is very, very accurate, very reliable information. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. He had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense, And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. And he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, today that we celebrate the coming of good news. We celebrate, O God, the fact that you speak into the affairs of men, that you interject your presence to redeem us. We bless you, O God, and we ask you to bless this word to our hearts today. Lord, let this truly be a time of joy and thanksgiving at the coming of your Son. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So the messenger the evangeline, the good news proclaimer, comes from the presence of God to make a proclamation for God. This is, of course, 
not a first-time event. The Bible is full of little stories where angels show up and have something to say for God. But the proclamation that he makes this time is the presence is about to be present. Emmanuel, as the prophet says, Emmanuel, God with us. This magnificent proclamation is made to several different individuals under several different circumstances that elicit profound prophetic response which reveals both the expectations of various individuals regarding God's manifest presence and what that will mean to mankind, as well as God's purposes in manifesting his presence to his people and to the world at large. We're going to skip down to uh, verse 24. It says, After these days his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me, to take away my reproach or my shame among the people. One of the more common and yet highly impactful personal experience that takes place when the presence of God is manifest is the redemptive and restorative power of his overwhelming grace. Elizabeth was so overwhelmed that she hid herself for five months. And when was the last time, do you think, that Zechariah might have prayed the prayer the angel told him that was heard? Remember, he was so convinced enough of the impossibility of conception that he didn't even believe in angelic visitation. How long do you think it had been since Zechariah had prayed, Lord, give my wife a child? Even though his theology insisted it was a possibility because of Abraham's experience. Listen. Don't despair. Don't despair. God hears our prayer, and at the most advantageous moment in time, he will respond because he is faithful. God is not dictated to by our circumstances. In the presence of the presence, God's grace meets our need. Healing Deliverance, hope, comfort, he is able, always able, to meet our every need. Continuing the story in verse 26, it says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel, busy guy these days, was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. 
and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now, just in case that last sentence slipped past your attention, I want you to consider with me the impact of what was just spoken to this little girl who is somewhere between 12 and 15 years old. Do we have any little girls 12 to 15 here? Jayla, how old are you? 14, did you stand up? How old are you, Elizabeth? Huh? 15, stand up. Any others? All right, so this, this is about what Mary looked like. She was about this age. Thank you, girls. <laughs> and if you think it was strange that she was engaged at 12 to 15 years old, consider this. Mary had already lived a third of her life expectancy. If you were 40 in the days of Jesus, you were an old man. 37 years old was the life expectancy at the time of Jesus. Most things that we'd take a pill or a syrup for would kill you in Jesus' day. So let's just dissect the angel's answer. How, how will this be since I am a virgin? He says the holy, and that is Strong's number 40, it's called hagios is the word. It means the sacred, pure, blameless, awful, as in the sense of awe-inspiring. The Holy Ghost, Strong's number 4151, pneuma, breath as in a blast, literally the breath of God. Shall come, Strong's number 1904, epichromai. To arrive, attack, and influence. Upon Strong's number 1909 Epi, a superimposition of time, place, and order. Power, Strong's number 1411, Dunamis, a violently wonderful work of miraculous power. I love that. <laughs> Highest, Strong's number 5310, Hupisistos the supreme God in his full masculine sense. Overshadow, Strong's number 1982, Epischiazo, is to develop in, to envelop in a haze of brilliancy. So here's the Dickacoin paraphrase of the angelic response. The holy, pure, awe-inspiring breath of God will blast you with an attack of influence which will arrive upon which will arrive with a superimposition upon your time place and order of your life with a violently wonderful work of miraculous power as the supreme god envelops you in the haze of brilliance that is his masculinity therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the son of god how would you like to hear that some evening? <laughs> 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 
Don't you find it interesting that the byproduct of these encounters with the presence of God is life? But listen, it's more than just life. We can produce babies all on our own. It's part of our gifted biology. But what we encounter when we encounter the presence is empowered life. A life more abundant. And when you are infused with this life, this God-breathed Zoe life, then out of your innermost being will begin to flow rivers of blessing usually prophetic in nature and powerful in impact. Listen how this works. Continuing the story in verse 39. It says, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to the town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Now what's going on with Elizabeth? She's pregnant with John, right? And what did the angel say about John? he would be filled with the Holy Spirit in his mother's womb, okay? And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. All right? Prophetic impact. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Now, how did Elizabeth know any of that? There was no Facebook then, guys. It's all prophetic. Now here comes the response from Mary. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. So as these two women of God who bear the fruit of the manifest presence come together, what happens? The Holy Spirit begins to move. Prophecy begins to be spoken. And within that prophetic framework, the scope and purposes of God's plan of redemption begins to be revealed. Mary referencing prophetically the generational flow beginning with Abraham and flowing from generation to generation to his offspring forever, reveals the social justice agenda in every age of the righteous kingdom of the merciful God. And where Mary leaves off, Matthew picks up. Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 
17. And most people find the opening of Matthew uh, quite boring. It's a genealogical listing. This one begat that one, and that one begat that one. And, you know, by the time you get to the third or fourth begat, you're kind of tripping over your own tongue, you know, because they got these really strange names, and you got to squeeze begat in between them. So, so I'm, gonna, I'm not going to do all that to you or to me. <laughs> so we'll just pick up in verse 17. So all the generations that Matthew reads... From Abraham to David were 14 generations. From David to the deportation uh, to Babylon, 14 generations. From the deportation to Babylon to Christ, 14 generations. Anyone seeing a pattern here? 14 generations, right? Three sets of 14 generations. In biblical numerology, this is a highly significant if the generations of the three fourteens are further divided into six sevens, if you divide the fourteens in half, you end up with sevens. Seven is the work of completion. Things are finished. After, after seven days, God's work of creation was finished. So highly significant in biblical uh, numerology. So if you divide it into six sevens, it makes Jesus the beginning of the seventh seven. Or the generation that enters into God's rest, where we rest from our works and God works through us, according to Hebrews 4.9. And how does he do that? By the giving of his Holy Spirit. It begins with the birth of Christ. So in Matthew 1.18, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from what? The Holy Spirit. You see, man doesn't need to work anymore. God is at work. The rest has begun. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, the alternatives were two others. He could have her stoned in the square, stoned to death, or he could just have her sent away into the wilderness to, you know, whatever happened with her, whatever she could forage out for her own life. Or he could just let God work and be still. That's what he chose. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When was that spoken? Fourteen generations before Jesus was born. His name is Jesus, Yeshua, 
Jehovah is Savior. What does that mean to us? What does it mean to you as an individual? Does it mean the things that Mary proclaimed? Does it mean to you social justice? Things are going to even out? Things are going to get better in the world? That hasn't happened. Does it mean to you what Elizabeth proclaimed? His wonderful restorative grace to the weary or downcast soul? And that's always available to us. How many of us avail ourselves to it, though? Or perhaps the words of Zechariah's prophecy reveal the real purpose of God's visitation in Luke 1, 67. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Is, is that the purpose, that we should be saved from our enemies? I mean, all of these things are good. All of these things are inclusive. They're not exclusive. Don't get me wrong here. And for the Jew of Jesus' day, it almost goes without saying that the inference would bring them to the Exodus story, where God, Jehovah, saves them from bondage and slavery in Egypt. And as I mentioned over the past few weeks, the Jews of Jesus' day had not fully recovered from their captivity in Babylon. They were still waiting for God's full deliverance. And now with the Romans having dominion over them, it could only mean one thing, this proclamation. God would come, smash the Romans, set his people free, and set up his kingdom of righteousness. And all this sounds good. All this is part of the picture. But God is much more precise than what is hoped for here. You shall call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. You see, it's not just the effects that God is interested in dealing with in our lives. He is not just a spiritual fix-it guy. He wants to get to the root of the cause. For how could we ever enter into the promised rest that is in his presence while under the burden of sin? And so the prophet Isaiah proclaims the coming presence, expressing heaven's heart and purpose to a people chosen and called of God to be a witness to the world. And this is what he says in Isaiah 9. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace there shall be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord will do this. And in these wonderful two verses, 
Isaiah sums up the whole thing. Yes, all of God's promises will be fulfilled. He will come and rescue his people. And he will send his beloved son to establish his kingdom and his kingship. And in justice and righteousness, it will last forever. But more than this is that the proclamation of the prophet is addressed to us. The presence will come to us. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the needle on the possibilities dial is spiking to maximum. God will become like us. God will put on flesh, an incarnation, God with us. But there's more here, so much more because his name shall be Jesus, because he shall save his people from their sins. The thing we could not do for ourselves, he was willing to do. The one common trait of all humankind for all have sinned, he was willing to bear even at the cost of experiencing what he had never known, separation from his father. The miracle of Christmas is not just that God put on flesh. It is that he allowed us to clothe him with sin in order to taste death and give us life. And in this, all of heaven rejoiced. Luke 2, beginning in verse 4. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there... The time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news and great joy that will be for all people. There's the proclamation. For unto us, for unto you, is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And there is the presence. And I love, in my imaginations and in my ponderings, the next few verses reveal that all of the heavenly host. Can you even think of what that might look like? <laughs> I might just read through Ezekiel and Revelation of wheels within wheels that have eyes in the rims and living creatures with four faces of oxes and lions and you know, winged creatures and things that move in ways that we can't even comprehend. All of that became enlivened when the proclamation 
became the presence. Goodwill to men.